to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon, and it is Wednesday, December 29th. Hope everyone is doing well, staying safe, and had a great uh, holiday if you are celebrating. Coming up today on the podcast, a conversation from earlier today with my friend Max Sass about the college football playoff. The semifinals are on Friday, New Year's Eve, Alabama-Cincinnati, Michigan against Georgia. Two really, really good matchups, two really intriguing matchups, uh, and we got we covered we, we got into the details. We covered everything with the games. Really, really fun conversation. Gave our predictions as well, uh, and we didn't agree, which was which was always fun. So uh, I'm gonna just get right to it. Hit the music when we come back. Is my conversation from earlier today with Max S. All right, joining me now, our resident double-double college football expert and fellow Hoboken resident, my friend, Max Sass. Max, how's it going? It's going great, Dave. I appreciate you having me on. Um, Getting rid of this COVID, and frankly, it's my second favorite time of year. Yep, so you you are in, if you had to choose a time to just sit on the couch and recover and watch TV... You are a huge fan of college football, and this is bowl season, and so you have been luckily filled with ESPN days of bowl game after bowl game after bowl game. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a balance, right? I, I know that we have a listener who also happens to be my employer, so I do want everyone to know that I have been working from home, um, <laughs> but... Having said it, like I said, it's my second favorite time of the year. Um, my first favorite time of the year is the time of the year when Ohio State is still playing relevant football games. Yep. Um, so, unfortunately, we're not in that time of year. But we are at least in a time of year where there are football games. Though, I guess UCLA, uh, you know, has something to say about that, right? Yeah. Shout out Dave Brown, first and foremost. And, yeah, it's a lot of bowl games, but as we're seeing – and as you're experiencing the, the the COVID wave of the Omicron variant is hitting the country, all the teams dealing with the impact of the virus, along with just at this point in the season, a lot of injuries, and then transfers and opt-outs for professionals like rosters were already small, and this COVID wave did not help at all. But there are four teams, as you said, who are still playing meaningful really meaningful football games where something is still on the line. We have the I don't playoff. Know, Dave, not to, not to interrupt, Dave, yeah. but I know you claim to be the hot take king. Okay. Um, I'm actually going to go out on a limb here and try to out-hot your take. Okay. Uh, and tell you there's actually really only one meaningful game left this season. Wow. Um, because with all due respect, the semifinal games are uh, more exhibitions as – the two actually good teams with a chance at winning the national title gear up for the their matchup together. So that's a this is a good time for full disclosure. Um, Coach Sass is a Ohio State fan, and with that, a Michigan football um, how do you say it hater, and so uh, that is why he thinks that the only meaningful game is the national championship game, which will be on no, January no. 10th. I'm going to hit you with a yes, but okay. yes, do hate Michigan, but but. I just frankly think it's a talent thing. Okay. Um, and Michigan beat Ohio State fair and square. They grinded him to a pulp. They had an amazing game plan. They out-executed them in every facet of the game. But 
I just, I, I just firmly believe that there's no way that the two most talented teams in the country, far and away, in any metric you look at it, are Alabama and Georgia. And they're playing against two teams that are, one, you know, Michigan is talented but in a different stratosphere, and Cincinnati, who's extremely talented for a group of five program. And I think we have to make sure that we keep those things in perspective because ultimately talent wins games. And if you look at why Nick Saban, you know, aside from being some mixture of Harry Potter, Snape and Dumbledore (laughs) wizard level, like the guy just has more talent than anybody else. And that's why he's won more than anybody else. That those are all extremely fair and very true points. But as sports fans, we love the games and the idea of upsets, especially in America. We, we, we love the underdog and the upsets. And we're going to get right into that first game of Cincinnati, Alabama. This is the ultimate college football David versus Goliath matchup. Um, and what's interesting is Cincinnati, partially because Alabama's not as good as they were last year, but Cincinnati is or sorry Alabama is favored by fewer points versus Cincinnati 13 and a half than they were against Notre Dame last year which I think was is really interesting um this is the ultimate David versus Goliath matchup you are absolutely correct the 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 talent level you know just just starting with one team has a Heisman Trophy winner and the other team doesn't um the talent level is stark And, and just for the record the Heisman Trophy winner was not even the most talented player on that team yeah Will Anderson if the award wasn't just a pat on the back for the offensive player that puts up the best stat line would probably have won the Heisman as probably the most productive and best college football player in the country. Yes. But this is, this is the game where outside of a small section of Alabama of Tuscaloosa, I pretty much the whole country is going to be pulling for, for Cincinnati. You know, as you said, the group of five, the first non-Power 5 conference team to get in. You know, if, if you want, we can talk about if they deserve to be in or not. I think they, did, they definitely do deserve to be in. But um, it's the ultimate nobody believes in us game. The, the ultimate, you know, why are we even playing this? Like, they have nothing, nothing to lose, which I think is a dangerous uh, predicament for Alabama because they're playing a team that literally has nothing to lose. You could say Notre Dame had stuff to lose in the previous years, but Cincinnati, according to like half the football fans and college football's quote unquote experts, shouldn't be there in the first place. Like they can go out and run trick play after trick play, try things, you know. It they they could present a lot of unique challenges for Alabama if they choose to go that route. Absolutely. And I think that there's something to be said for Luke Fickle, and I want to go back to him in a second. But I'd like I, I, you're the host; you get to ask the questions. But I'm going to just flip it. I want to yeah. pose a question to you. Um, one of the kind of interesting questions or narratives that I've seen in the lead up to this game is, you know, as the playoff committee is considering expanding um, the pool, whether it's eight teams or much more likely twelve teams, does the way Cincinnati performs or the way they look? in a lot of ways, put the entire weight of the group of five and how many bids or any bid at all, to be frank, they deserve moving forward. Like, does their performance actually affect that? Or is it just, oh, this is cool that you were here? So 
I don't think it matters for one big reason, which is that Alabama, like, okay, they're playing Alabama. Alabama is not just really good, but they destroy everybody. So you could say when they played Notre Dame, oh, did Notre Dame ruin it for themselves or for any independence by getting destroyed the way they did? No, because Alabama destroys everyone the way that they crushed Ohio State in the championship. It's like, oh, well, Ohio State ruined it for the Big Ten. It's a, as you said. No, but when Ohio State lost to Clemson that year and got absolutely mashed, in a lot of ways they ruined it for themselves the next year. But, but no, I, I actually agree with you. I think your point is right. I think in a lot of ways this game actually has nothing to do with UCF, even though yeah. people have a lot to do with, you know, Scott Frost's UCF team. Like, yeah. this is not that redemption, right? Like, no. this is a, you know, there's going to be a new group of five team next year and four years from now that presents its own challenges to whatever power five team gets matched up against it. It's, it's very similar to how Boise State – at the at the turn of the the decade with with Kellen Moore, how they were always in the top three, top four, and they would schedule Power Five teams in those first two weeks. You know, they would play SEC teams, ACC teams, and they would win the way that Cincinnati did this year by scheduling Notre Dame on the road, beating them, who ended up fifth. You know, they got a little unlucky that their Indiana game, Indiana turned out to not be the top twenty team that people predicted them to be. But it's kind of reminding me of if we had the 14 playoff back in 2010, 2011, Boise would have gotten one chance, would have gotten a chance. And the teams are different, but it's sort of similar to me in, in that realm of it. So in 2007, Boise State played Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl. Yep. And, you know, in what many consider to be the greatest or maybe the second greatest game of all time behind that, you know, Vince Young USC game. But 43-42 in overtime, how does that game, and I understand, Dave, and your youthful exuberance um, might have only been like 12 years old when that game happened. But, um, like, how does that game and the fact that Boise State beat Oklahoma, a really good Oklahoma team, compare to this matchup, Cincinnati-Alabama? Like, are those games comparable? Because I think that's the best-case scenario for Cincinnati. You mentioned trick plays before. Yeah. I, I I think it's as as you said, it's the going in, you know, you you know, we're both from the basketball world of, you know, sometimes the most dangerous opponent is one who is not that highly, you know, is not the highest ranked team on your schedule. It's the team that is the underdog that's gonna come out and just throw everything at you. And Boise did that in that Oklahoma game. They were really, really good and they caught Oklahoma on the right night. That's what we love about sports is that in any 60-minute window, you don't know what's going to happen. And if I, I would – the only takeaway from that game, because not just has the sport changed so much in these last 13 years, 14 years, but just the, the idea of playing to win the entire time. So if Cincinnati jumps out to what could be a 10-0 lead, right, that is very uh, predictable as something that could happen. Don't just get into the don't lose the game mentality the whole way, but you have to play to win the whole time. And that's what Boise State did so well in that game against Oklahoma and in many other games in their run under Coach Peterson. But just trust yourself, trust your guys, and play to win. I think 
a good point, and and I'm a big fan of Luke Fickle. Part of that is that you know he's a longtime Ohio State player and coach. But I think the cool thing about Luke Fickle is that you know he he's a very neat redemption story. Yep. Right when the whole thing happened with the tattoos and Jim Tressel and Terrell Pryor, you know Luke Fickle took over that team, and it was not a good year. Let's put it kindly. And yeah. part of the reason I'm referencing it is because you know. Assuming Ohio State, you know, loses to Utah, they um, this would be their first three loss season since that year when Luke Fickle was the head coach or the interim coach, whatever he was at that point. But it's a really cool story the way he's bounced back, and um, I would like to see him win because he, you know, waded through you know ten thousand miles of muck and yeah. crap and all that stuff to get to where he is, and he's also turned down a bunch of jobs. Turned down a lot. Uh, you know, Michigan State was a really, really interesting one that he could have fit at. Um, you know, Notre Dame this year, they hired his former defensive coordinator because yeah. not only is Marcus Freeman a really kind of interesting and charismatic and probably a tremendous coaching candidate, but, you know, the, the rumors are that Luke Fickle wasn't willing to even have conversations until his team um, finished their season, essentially eliminating himself. And um, I, I think there's a degree of loyalty there that, deserves to be rewarded but unfortunately um you know they're playing a team that has uh i believe 74 of their 85 scholarship players are uh blue chip prospects so you know that does not always reward loyalty that rewards talent and you know sorry not to be the big bad downer but at the their best player it plays the most important position at quarterback. So the quarterback matchup, Bryce Young, the Heisman Trophy winner versus Desmond Ritter, Cincinnati quarterback, who will likely be a top two to three round uh, NFL draft pick this year. One of the best quarterbacks in the whole country, fifth year. You know, he's their best player. And he can do a lot. He can throw. He can run. Doesn't turn the ball over. You know, he had, I think he had about 30 touchdowns this year, only eight interceptions. He's a really, really good player. This is not the team that has a super-duper running back, right? And the line can't match up in this. When you have a superstar quarterback the way that Cincinnati does, you you can compete in a lot of matchups. And it's the most important talent position on, on the field. And what's really interesting is John Mechie, one of the Alabama's best wide receivers, is hurt. He will not play in this game. He's out for the season. Alabama's offense was built around, at least in the passing game, Jameson Williams, who you're familiar with, and John Mechie, both over 1,000 yards. But the next closest guy receiving is Slade Bolton at just over 300. So one huge weapon is out there. So if you're looking at this from us, how can Cincinnati do this? If you can take away somehow or just limit Williams, the top, top weapon, and make Young go to everyone else, and trust Ritter and play to win with with Ritter, sort of like the ingredients are there to keep it close, and then you never know what could happen. Oh, what a shame it would be if they would have to rely on Ja'Cory Brooks instead of John Mitchie. Oh, only the number 34 prospect and number two wide receiver in the country coming out of high school. What will Alabama ever do without one player? I, I Look, I get it. John Mitchie is amazing. Slade Bolden is just okay. Alabama just has so many guys there that it 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 doesn't matter. 
to me. Um, whereas, like, if you look at Cincinnati and if something happens to Alec Pierce, who, by the way, over the course of his career has now proven that he's good enough to have been an Alabama-like player, level player, they can't survive that loss at Cincinnati. Alabama can survive that. That's true. And, and that's the difference to me. It's the depth. Alabama needs to play the worst game of their lives, and Cincinnati needs to play the best game of their lives. And even then, it may not be good enough. Yeah. We should also remember, too, that this Alabama team is not as good as they were last year. This is not a powerhouse. Can anyone compete with them? Nick Saban is, you know, how True, like how does he keep to, doing uh, this? They lost to that A&M team, which is talented, but you know, a three or four loss team. So I agree with you. There's a flaw there. They barely beat Auburn on the road. They probably should have lost the Auburn game. They beat, they only beat Arkansas by seven. They beat LSU by six. That is true. They lost to Texas A&M. They barely beat a Florida team who is not, you know, that was on the road, but a not good Florida team whose coach got fired. But what's the actual version of Alabama? Is it the one that, came in and beat what we previously thought was the best team in the country in Georgia, or is it the team that's let, you know, pretty average teams like Auburn and Arkansas compete with them for 40 minutes or 60 minutes, excuse me. I'm thinking basketball Yeah, But that's why I think that this is really more of an upset potential than the Notre Dame game from last year or in previous match, in previous playoff games for them, because we've seen them quote unquote play down to their competition struggle on offense against LSU, struggle against Auburn. Cincinnati is better than both LSU and Auburn. Like Alabama, you're right, going to that Georgia game, they were fired, fired up because they were the underdogs. They were lower ranked. Everyone thinking Kirby's finally going to beat Saban, right? But now Alabama is two touchdown favorites. Everyone's expecting them to not just beat Cincinnati, but to roll them. And I think that's a dangerous predicament for this team who, as we've seen throughout the season, can play down to their competition. They're not pedal to the metal the whole time like they were with Mac Jones or with those two at teams. It's possible. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. That's fair. Um, I just think I, I, it's hard to bet against a Nick Saban team in a yes. big game. You yes. know, in a week-to-week thing where, you know, okay, I get it, like – they can have an off week. It just feels like no Nick Saban team ever has an off week in the biggest moments of the year. Um, but I guess that's not true. You know, they've lost playoff games before, right? Like yeah. they've lost to the four seed before. In fact, in yeah. the very first edition of the playoffs. Yeah. To a team with their third string quarterback, a really, really good team, but a guy who they probably didn't know too much about going into that, going into, into that game. Now there's more film on Desmond Ritter than there was of Cardell Jones, but it's it's really interesting just the psych the the psychology component behind getting up for a game. They're going to be you know ready to go. It's a playoff game. They're going to be ready to go, but for the the expectation to not just win but to roll them, and that can be difficult for teams, especially this team like Alabama that is kind of young and has struggled with that throughout the course of the season. It's also very interesting to me that you look at, you know, Bill O'Brien, their offensive coordinator, I believe just returned to the team, you know, either today, Wednesday or yesterday, which was Tuesday. Uh, Right. Do I have my days right here? Yeah. So, you know, I wonder how that affects their preparation as well. Yeah. Uh, COVID throws a wrench into things. And having said all that, like there's a chance that 
you know, Cincinnati's starting left tackle had COVID and we just had no idea. And like, he's not full strength. I, yeah. It really could go either way. COVID puts a really weird wrench into things that I, I think, you know, potentially needs to be factored in. 100%. We, we don't know. We saw it this week. UCLA was holding their roster secrets as close to the best as possible until a few hours before kickoff. And they were like, we are having an outbreak and we can't play. We don't have enough players. The day of the game, the playoff committee has already announced that if you can't play because of COVID, we're not playing in three or four days. It's a forfeit. Like, sorry, but you you have to forfeit. And so these teams are traveling. You know, they're flying to different parts of the country. Um, they're going to be. In- you, by the way, NC State. This is the ultimate, like, snake until you make it thing. They accepted the trophy, and they announced they're counting this in the record book as a win. So now Dave Doran, the head coach, hit a $200,000 contract bonus for, I believe, winning a bowl game this year and reaching 10 wins. Um, My guess is that's going to be litigated um, in court because that is a pretty big bonus. But, of course, they're going to say that it was a win, right? Like. <laughs> the second 10 win season in Ensign State football history and they're putting it in the books and I love it they should they were ready to play good for them it's like it's like when UCF claimed the national championship you know they did it for <laughs> them right we can recognize that they were not national champions that that year by the by the committee but they had a great year they were undefeated right like they were champions because they beat everyone that they played you know they did all that they could NC State's 2021 season is going to go up in the books with, like, you know, Michigan's 1921 season or whatever. <laughs> when they're like, oh, like, all six teams left. We were the best of them. We went to the Rose Bowl, so we, we win. We win. It's, like, also, it's also very ironic that in the college baseball World Series, NC State got eliminated and had to forfeit because they had a COVID outbreak on their team at oh, a I key junction that. of the tournament, which caused a huge controversy at the time. And there were some issues with vaccination on their team and not enough players were vaccinated. Um, And now the football team is on the opposite end of a team who can't field, uh, who doesn't have enough players because of the virus. Um, It is interesting how it is full circle with NC State. They have now seen both sides of the coin here. But I know where you're leaning here in this game. Obviously, you're going to pick Alabama. And I'm going to pick Alabama, too. That doesn't mean I'm not going to be rooting for Cincinnati. Um, well, let's go deeper then. Yeah. Well, give more prediction. Because I think that actually says more than the actual pick. So so I think I think Cincinnati will be able to score on them. And I think that they'll be able to slow down Alabama just enough to make it a game where Bryce Young, as you said, over the course of the game, the abundance of talent Alabama has offensively um, will will show itself. Like, I think this is a... 31 20 to 20 you know 31 23 game like i think it's about an eight point touchdown game not a two touchdown game you think cincinnati's gonna cover yeah so i i would hearken back to a very interesting the comparison i would make uh and most people may not get this reference but do you remember when uh, Ohio State played Michigan State this year in a top six matchup or top ten matchup? And Ohio State put fifty on them at halftime. Yes, I believe the score was forty nine nothing at halftime, and the final was like fifty six to seven. Uh huh. I think we're gonna see 
2.0 of that. And I hope it's not true. I'm rooting for Cincinnati. I am. I really am. I know you don't believe me. I know people won't believe me. I just think it's an inevitability. I have 56 to 12. Wow. I think there's I think a... Cincinnati I, I, ends up I'll getting just, 12. There's just a key difference in that. That Michigan State team is built around the running game and Kareem Walker, who you could take away, rather than a dual-threat quarterback who... Can do a lot of can do a lot of things, and I'm not saying that he's going to be Johnny Manziel, tw- you know, 2012 Johnny Manziel, and win a game single-handedly because that's he's not as dynamic of a player as as Manziel was. Ritter is, but I think he's. But why? Why? Not to be argumentative. Yeah. But where does Desmond Ritter rank amongst the quarterbacks that they face? Like, is he better than you know? I guess they didn't, you know, like he's certainly not better than Matt Corral. Like, yeah, he's he's probably the second best quarterback that they have faced this this year, and um, really? yeah, I I I think he's the second best quarterback because it, he's the Ritter's better than than the Florida guys. He's you better. Oh, Knicks. Uh, Knicks. Yeah, I think he's better than the Knicks. You think he's better than Max Johnson? Yeah. You think he's better than Hendon Hooker? Yes. You think he's better than, I can't think of his name, but Mississippi State starting quarterback, who I believe was the second most prolific quarterback in the country. Costello, yes. That's Mike Leach's offense. Okay, and you think he's better than uh, whichever combination of Hings, King, Zach Calzada. Yeah. And, and, and I think he's better than, <laughs> than Stetson Bennett, who, who they beat in the SEC championship. So I was waiting to come back to that one because that I think is your, in a lot of ways, your segue, which we can delay. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I I just don't think Desmond Ritter is head and shoulders above those guys. I think Desmond Ritter is a fine quarterback. Okay. I actually think he's not even the most talented quarterback on Cincinnati. I think their supporting cast is better than it will be. But uh, Evan Prater, the backup, is the most talented quarterback on that roster. Well, maybe that maybe that's why Fickle hasn't left because he knows someone better is it's the Steve Young to the Joe Montana's, the Aaron Rodgers to well, the Brett Favre. It is remarkable. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a group of five school that's in the top thirty, you know, a couple years in a row. And by the way, now they're going to the Big Twelve. They're going to start competing with Kentucky, Michigan State, all those schools that were getting those secondhand kids. Secondhand, I say secondhand. Yeah. You know. And- non-Ohio State caliber kids out of the state of Ohio that wanted to play Power 5 football. Yeah, this this is not, as, as as long as Coach Fickle stays at Cincinnati, this is not the last we will hear of them playing really meaningful, really meaningful games in December. Agreed. It may not be a playoff game again in the next two or three years, but it could be another New Year's Six Bowl the way that they played last year. Agreed. Agreed. I, I think this team will be really good. This was just the team that had, you know, no margin of error available and didn't give any margin of error. They exactly beat Notre Dame. They beat Indiana before everyone recognized Indiana was atrocious. I, I mean, everything fell into place for Cincinnati, which, by the way, included everyone else stinking. It included Ohio State losing again. It included Oregon losing multiple times down the stretch. It included, you know, just no one being really good this year, to be perfectly frank. It included Clemson having an off year. It included Oklahoma. Uh, yeah. 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 
you know. Yeah, it, a lot of things. A lot of everything things. Everything worked out really nicely for them, and and I'm happy for them. I really am. I yeah. enjoy watching Cincinnati play football. A lot of things w- went their way. You're making the case of the team of destiny, um, which is sort of what I was hinting at as well as the <laughs> underdog team. But look, it's it's going to be a really good game. That game is at three thirty Eastern time at the Cotton Bowl down in Dallas. As you said, hopefully no COVID issues, not just for obviously for the players' sake, for the health of them and the coaches, but so that we as fans can enjoy something that we love, which is really good, hopefully really good college football and meaningful college football. And then the second game in South Beach, in Miami. Also, they should host more of these games in South Beach. Um, Michigan against Georgia. Georgia's favored by seven and a half points in, in this one. Very similar teams. Very, very similar teams here. Except there's one big difference. That Georgia's more talented? Well, yeah. One team has 19 five-star players, and the other has three. And one of those three is the backup quarterback that maybe plays three snaps a game. So, yeah, that's the big difference. I agree that the two teams have the same style of ethos and, you know, game plan. You know, be tougher win with defense, run the ball, control the line of scrimmage. But, you know, it works out a little bit better when you have 19 five-star dudes. This uh, is true. Th- again, I, I know I'm not, you know, driving into the narrative yeah. of being Dort and Kurt here, but it's, it's just such a stark difference for me. And that's the biggest bummer of not having Ohio State, not having Clemson, not having one of those teams in the playoffs this year, to be honest. And here's my one of my favorite areas in which we disagree, which is the we agree on the importance of blue chip prospects, four, four and five star players, but the player development of them I view so much more important because Georgia, yes, has more five star players, but on that roster how many of those guys are really contributing versus Aiden Hutchinson, who's going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft is a way more impactful player in this game than say JT Daniels, who's a five-star quarterback and is the backup for Georgia, the same way five-star JJ McCarthy is like Georgia, Georgia starts a former walk on at quarterback. Is that more impactful than how many five stars they have? I, I, I think that's a big, factor in this game is that Kirby can't hasn't proven that he can recruit quarterbacks that well or keep them because Justin Fields left and (laughs) so I think your point is super valid and the counterpoint to that would be that Georgia develops players as well they do the best example yeah he's a we're just gonna get right into the defense you know these are two teams want to run the ball and play defense you know what what I wrote was it's Aiden Hutchinson for Michigan likely number one pick who I don't want, you know, I don't know if this is going to make you have nightmares, but dominated the Ohio State game in a way that was pushed him over Kayvon Thibodeau of Oregon in that number one pick conversation, in my mind. He's yeah, just an incredible player. Yeah, it makes me a little sad, but it also was very revealing of just frankly how good he was. Yeah. He was matched up against Nick Petit Frere, who is a, you know, first or second round offensive tackle. And Petit Fair, you know, was embarrassed. I think Hutchinson had three and a half sacks and three times as many pressures or whatever it was. 
Aiden Hutchinson is a game wrecker and a game changer. And the closest comparison that I can give to him was, is Chase Young. Yeah. Right. And, most and m- most recently. Yeah. You know, the, the, but it's what Kayvon Thibodeau, you know, kind of was bef- in the first game and a half before he got injured this yes. year. Um, besides quarterback, you know, a, a defensive end might be the most important position to have a game record at. Yes. Because um, it changes the way you do everything. Yes. And what I wrote as well was, you mentioned Jordan Davis, who's an awesome player, but just the whole Georgia defensive line. Their, their, their front four, front seven is... Over the course of the season, people were saying, is this the best front seven of all time? I still lean more towards that Clemson team that had four first-round draft picks on it or three first-round picks yep. in, on that defensive line. Um, but this is up there with any front seven of of major college football in recent history. And it's going to be— the, the Ohio State team that had Chase Young and Nick yes, Bosa yes. bookend. Defensive ends wasn't terrible either. But, exactly. But yes. I got that Clemson team where Cleveland Farrell and oh my God, Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins. That team was tremendous. And so, it's going to be really interesting to see if any of these, if either team can run the ball effectively, because these are two teams that want to run the ball and play from ahead. They don't want to get down. These these are two teams not built to throw their way back into games. Um. Not saying that Bennett and McNamara aren't good quarterbacks, but they're both guys who are asked not to make mistakes. They're they're the game managers, even though I don't really like the game manager term. Um, they are guys who they don't they're not asked to go win the game. They're mainly asked not to not to lose the game. And it's going to be really interesting to see. Michigan has a really good, potent running game, as as the whole Big Ten learned. Yep. Yes, and so does Georgia. As the whole SEC learned, not just this year, but in previous years too, they just will run the ball right through you. I mean, how many Georgia running backs are are in the NFL? Um, it's going to be really interesting to see who scores first. And this game, I think, will be determined something that is not talked about in any of the previews I've been seeing or reading, which is special teams, which is you have these great defenses. You're going to get close enough that Field goals are going to be a really, really big deal in this game. It's going to be who has more trust in their kickers to make kicks. That's going to be huge. But then also executing punts as well. The the field position battle in this game is going to be really, really important. And it's not exciting from a fan's perspective to watch punts, but it's going to be really, really important in this game because both these coaches coach Harbaugh and coach smart have so much trust in their defenses I think you know far be it for me to criticize Jim Harbaugh you know I forget if I said it on this podcast or just to you off air you know early in the year but I, I think I had said you know the best thing Jim Harbaugh can do is just play JJ McCarthy the whole year um because then he can just say you know don't fire me uh, we have this kid who's the future and we're building him up. We're taking our lumps now. And, you know, obviously he didn't need to do that. And and the answer, by the way, is not just a credit to Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator, because I don't think it's that they've turned Cade McNamara into, you know, an NFL quarterback or a game-breaking all-Big Ten quarterback even, to be honest. 
I think it's that they figured out how to win despite that, where the fact is the quarterback didn't necessarily matter in the way they grind these games down. Um, and that, to me, is where your point about a guy like Kirby Smart never having gotten over the edge, whereas Jim Harbaugh's clearly won a lot of really big games, going back to his time at you know Stanford, especially in uh, upsets of those USC teams. And I think that experience matters. Spoiler alert, I'm taking the talent. I'm taking Georgia here. I'm taking the, you know, I'm laying the points. But I do think if this game becomes interesting, much in the way the Ohio State game, you know, or the beatdown of Ohio State was interesting, was because they found the little pockets of what was a flaw with Ohio State, which in that case was that they weren't tough enough against the run. They wanted to play five defensive backs. They wanted to, you know, play this pace and space kind of football and and Michigan said no we're playing our version of football and um I don't know if that matches up as well against Georgia but I think the idea and the strategy and the way that they think about the game and attack the plan um does give me a degree of hope if you are rooting for the winged helmets so I think Michigan is going to win this is going to win this game I'm sorry uh, hold on Dave I think my uh my podcast app uh, went out there. I'm not sure I heard you clearly. I thought you said something that you, you clearly didn't say. Well, can you repeat that? So I think the Michigan Wolverines are going to win this game. Wow. Um, okay. Tell I, me why. I think it's a weird gut feeling, but so they they finally got over the Ohio State hump. They got the Buckeye monkey off their back. They, you know. They Harbaugh had never beaten them one win in what what was it fifteen years against I, I think it was that season you mentioned where yeah. Ohio State was really down last time that Michigan won the game and they didn't just win but they were in control for pretty much the whole game and typically what you see sometimes from these teams that go on these they have these massive massive wins right and then you're expecting or a lot of times we see the letdown the following week and get upset. And we saw a humiliation in the Big Ten Championship of of Iowa, who they just destroyed. It wasn't even a game. I think they won. I, I, I don't even remember if when I talked about it on the podcast recapping it. I don't even remember if I said what the score was. I was just like, it was a <laughs> lot to a little. And like I think it might have been 42 to 3 or 49 to, to 3. That spoke a lot to me about this team has something different going for it. I I know I said for Cincinnati the the team of destiny, and it's a cliche term, but this Michigan team is different. This is not the same Michigan team. They're not going to be intimidated by Georgia because in their minds, how could any team be better than Ohio State? Right, Ohio State has just as much talent as Georgia over the whole roster. A better quarterback. Yes, they were home, but I think Michigan. Michigan always travels really well. This game being played in Miami is a huge advantage for for Michigan. Michigan has alumni all over the country, especially in big cities, and that will what travel. Do you think the game being played in Florida is an advantage for the team coming from Michigan as opposed to the team coming from Georgia. I think that there's a lot of Michigan people who are going to make the trip. It's not going to be one of those games where it's 75% Georgia and 25% the the other team. Okay. 
I think I think it'll be closer to 50-50. So it's not going to be a, you know, a big house game, but it will be close. You know, Michigan fans haven't been in this playoff. They haven't been in the national conversation since 1997. I think a lot of them are going to travel for this. It's Miami. It's New Year's, right? There's a lot of reasons to go to Miami for for New Year's <laughs> regardless, right? Um and I think this is Harbaugh's moment. He's Harbaugh has coached NFL playoff games on the road, Super Bowls, right? Like Harbaugh is not intimidated by the moment. He may have lost games before, big games, but I think th- I think he's more ready for this than Coach Smart is, than Coach Kirby Smart is. Even though Kirby Smart has made a playoff and Jim Harbaugh has not. Yes. I think that even though I, I, I think Kirby Smart learned his lesson from that. He, I mean, I mean, he got two would. There's, there's not much to say, but For sure. Um, I think coaching in the Super Bowl. I know he didn't win, but that was a crazy game. But getting to the Super Bowl and coaching in the Super Bowl, I think, is just as meaningful as making the playoffs before. And so now, what if you spent your time preparing for this game, making terrible baseball analogies and criticisms of your rival coach? Do you think that affects anything? I think that's just who he is. He's just kind of a weird guy, and f- <laughs> most football coaches are kind of weird. I'm just, can, I, you know, can I, I? I know this is a bit tangential, but can yeah. I actually get your take? Did you know? Did Ryan Day end up on third base and think he hit a triple? Like, where do you stand on that? I won't be insulted. I just want to know. So I think it's like it's like the ultimate. You know, do you think John Shire is taking over at third base next year with with Duke? Like Ryan Day inherited a really really successful program from Coach Urban Meyer. He inherited a lot of talent, a lot of really really good players, but Ryan Day had to maintain it. And as what Pat Riley, Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, all the most successful people in life and in sports say is that maintaining success is always harder than building it and building it is really really hard. So do I think that Ryan Day was born with a leadoff third base? No, I think he was probably hired with a program rounding third. Like, he was somewhere between second and third. Like, where Michigan was when Harbaugh came in was at a completely different point than when Ryan Day came in. Not saying they both haven't done really good jobs. Ryan Day's been an awesome coach for Ohio State, and you could argue it's been harder for him to keep Ohio State where they were versus Harbaugh getting Michigan back to where they think that they belonged. But I think that's just the classic. They're rivals. They're going to take shots at each other. Like Ohio State has been taking shots at Michigan for 20 years. It's Michigan's turn to throw some back. Like I just thought it was good old that, nature ribbon. No, that, that's totally fine. I, I I guess what I'm does your thinking change in a hypothetical situation where Georgia beats Michigan comfortably and Michigan goes back to being you know, the good but not great team they had been previously under Harbaugh. Like, if next year they go 9-3 and three or whatever and they're not in playoff contention, does the way you look at it change? Because, and I get it, I'm a hater, but yeah. there's a, I, I, I would say it's more likely than not that Michigan next year goes back to what they had been over the previous four years than what they were this year. So, I get what you're saying. And I do agree that, yes, losing the number one draft pick, you're going to lose a bunch of other players. But as you mentioned, they have this five-star quarterback who's 
pretty good and pretty talented. We'll see if he can unseat McNamara. But Harbaugh, Harbaugh's always recruited pretty well. You know, he was awesome his first couple years, but he's recruited pretty well. And he did the Coach O thing where he got rid of sort of older assistants who thought like him and brought in these new guys, these new um, young blood almost in a way, these young ideas, young assistants with so much energy and kind of just let them do their thing in a way and sort of get out of their, get out of their way. Now I think he could have, hopefully he'll have more success after the playoff than coach O did. But <laughs> um, I think, I think I, I've been really impressed with how he's sort of did with coach O did, which was he, he was humble enough to change. He was confident in himself to know, hey, I've been to a Super Bowl. I've won different conferences. I've coached incredible players. Like, yes, I know what I'm doing. I know I'm an incredible football coach, but I also know that I don't know everything. And I'm going to take a back seat and let other people coach. And if it's going to help us win. And That's so one version of that story, the other side of the, the other version of that story being that Michigan said, we're slicing your contract in half because we don't want to fire you because you're a legendary player here. Yeah. But here's the catch. You have to fire your entire staff and bring in people that we think are acceptable. I don't know which one is true. I'm just so, saying the so, very rosy version you have lines up well with them about to play a playoff game. But if this team had, you know, gone nine and three or eight and four, like we're probably talking about the version I gave. So True. I don't actually know what's the case. True. And I think it's better for college football and for the rivalry when Michigan is better and more competitive, but I'm just not super optimistic. Ari Wasserman is, does a really nice job with the athletic and he got a question in his recruiting mailbag the other day about, you know, Oh my God, is Ohio state falling and Michigan rising? Cause it felt that way on signing day. Right. Yeah. But the catch of the whole thing is that, with the two flips Michigan got, they're now up to three top 100 prospects in their 2022 class. And with the decommitment, you know, from the top 60 cornerback at Ohio State, they're down to eight top 100 players in the 2022 class. So even though it feels like the momentum is going Michigan's way, uh, part of me just feels like they revert to the norm in a lot of ways when they're a good, not great team over the next three years. And that's okay. That's their ceiling, whether it's because of, academic requirements whether it's because of who the coach is whether it's because of i don't know anything i I just think like this to me is michigan's ceiling and and maybe we're going too deep into this and i apologize you know maybe this is an off-season conversation where we talk about the direction of specific teams you know and i think michigan is a fascinating case study i i just to me this year feels somewhat fluky um and I would say, you know, it's more likely that we see Clemson in this game next year than Michigan. That's probably fair, also because Clemson has a way easier path with the ACC. I think that we've won. It's that for your recruiting point, which is this isn't basketball. This isn't another sport where you get one recruiting class and boom, you're in the top five and you can win a national exactly. championship. Exactly. It takes four or five years like Aiden Hutchinson was a four-star recruit. I'm pretty sure this is his senior year. He may have redshirted. Um, now he's going to be the, the number one pick. But when yep. he was yep. when he but when he was signed, it wasn't like oh my god, 
Aiden Hutchinson is at Michigan, they're going to win the national championship this you year. You also have 22 starters versus five starters, so the impact one person makes is disproportionate in basketball. One, 100%. And I think we're also, to, to your credit, as an Ohio State fan in the program you support is, it's been amazing how dominant they've been in a really, really good conference that Ohio State has been able to win the Big Ten consistently during Harbaugh's tenure. And not just win, but by beating teams by a lot who are not, in, as you said, the same talent level and coaching level. But it's also the conference is really, really good. And so Michigan, by being 10-2, and two, let's just say, or 9-3 and three, in a really good conference like, like the Big Ten, in my mind, those aren't bad seasons. Those are just, no. as, as you know, a couple plays changes things but and it's, it's all going what, this way. But it's not what Michigan fans, Michigan fans thought they were getting Bo Beckler reincarnated yes. in Aggies. Exactly. with that comes the expectation that you're competing for winning national titles. And the last time Michigan won 0.5 of a national title, because they didn't win the whole thing, they split it. Yep, was 97. Charles Woodson was not just playing in the NFL. He, like Charles Woodson, who's now a broadcaster, was you know, playing offense and defense. So, so, so I want you to hold that point because that's something we're going to talk about in a second that I think is really, really important, but score prediction. I think Michigan wins this game, um, 17 to 13. I think it's gonna be really low scoring. I think it's gonna be ugly. It's going to be one of those things on Twitter where everyone's tweeting about the punters. Um, (laughs) but I think Michigan's going to, going to pull the upset. Um, I'm going to say Georgia wins, and I think Georgia wins this game 31 to uh, 31 to, eh, let's see, 31 to 13. That's a lot of points. That's a lot of points for a Stetson Bennett-led offense, but. Yeah, I just just think Michigan is playing supercharged Michigan, and like, Guess what? When you play like the better version of yourself, (laughs) the best way I can think of it is like, imagine if you had your dynasty mode team in NCAA 14 and played yourself, but you you put the computer on like Heisman mode. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of what Jim Harbaugh is doing in a lot of ways. You've said it like they have the same, they both want to run the ball. They want to win the line of scrimmage. They want to slow the game down and play power football. Well, like, I think there's a really compelling argument to be made that Michigan was really hoping they could have played Alabama instead of Georgia in the first round. Yeah. I mean, everyone was pl- wishing to play Cincinnati, but, it, it, you know, I think they're a better matchup against Alabama than they are against Georgia. That's be really interesting if we could have had all the, the matchups. But you know what? Instead of an 18, let's just make it round robin. That 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 <laughs> that, that would be a great essay for someone for, for the offseason, but... <laughs> Moving in very quickly here as, as we approach the end, coaching carousel, one of our favorite topics is the coaching movement, coaching changes. The point you just made about the fan bases at Michigan and the fan base at Michigan thinking that they were getting national championship Bo Schlumbacher again, just like, oh, we're just going to we're gonna hire him and all of a sudden like every five star is going to come to us and we're going to be winning nine straight national championships like sign me up. That doesn't happen. Nick Saban's don't happen. There's a reason why he's the greatest of all time. And the biggest coaching hire was Lincoln Riley's shock move to USC. We've talked about this extensively off air, but I think it's important just to say 
and, and talk about just br- very briefly about Lincoln Riley going to USC does not mean USC is going to make the playoff next season. They may make the playoff. They may win the the Pac-12 and have an unbelievable season, but they are it, it, it does not guarantee a national championship in the next 24 months because of how we mentioned recruiting and football, even though the recruiting is going to get better and has gotten better so far, takes years to get these guys on campus and to develop to where a five-star 17-year-old is a 21-year-old true NFL player making a difference against Alabama and Georgia and Clemson, Ohio State and Michigan and Notre Dame and the best, best teams in the country. So I think you're you're exactly right. And I think the formula in a lot of ways for Lincoln Riley has to be that you bring in a, a, a number of players out of the portal to try to compete this year. And ultimately, their 2023 recruiting class is probably going to compete with Ohio State, um, Georgia, and Alabama, excuse me. And, well, I guess now we have to talk about Texas A&M as like, yeah. the ultimate power. They might sign the greatest class of all time. But, <clears throat> like, USC's 2023 class is already ridiculous. And the reason that's happening is because Lincoln Riley had made a ton of really impressive inroads in Southern California. Yep. Uh, when he was the head coach at Oklahoma. Well, it's a lot easier if, to go play for Lincoln Riley 45 minutes from your home than it is, you know, in, in Lincoln, uh, not Lincoln, Nebraska, excuse me, in the middle of Oklahoma to uh, the point where those kids are all flipping. You know, Zion Branch in the class of 2022 and his younger brother, Zachariah, the five-star wide receiver in the class of 2023, they're committed all these kids from Southern California, including Malachi Nelson, who's the best quarterback in the country, not named Manning in the class of 2023. Those guys are in this USC team is going to be incredibly talented. And I think the one thing that's going to keep them from winning is one, what they do with their roster short term to fill out the numbers yep. and, and they recruit the lines. Yep. Right. Cause that's sort of always been the issue with, um, the West coast teams as opposed to the Southeast and Midwest teams is the difference on the line of scrimmage. So I'm very curious to see if they can make some changes there. It's great energy to have, you know, he left a blue chip blue blood program in in Oklahoma and went to another one, which is always, which is always great. And a, a a power that was, if you think about it as, as a star, like a fraying ember that now is going to be, you know, reborn in a way is, is, is the hope for college football fans everywhere that Lincoln Island will bring USC back to the Pete Carroll days where a list celebrities were on the sidelines, a plus list celebrities. It's different now that LA, you know, it's not, it it is a town that has, you know, LeBron James and things like that. But the best thing that happened to Lincoln Riley, which I'm sure we'll touch on is the fact that the team that was kicking USC's butt up and down the coast of California Mario Cristobal has left Oregon and he's now in Miami. So the yeah. West Coast of California can now become USC territory again because my God, Oregon was cleaning up in the state. Oregon, Oregon was doing unbelievably. Um, he, as you said, he goes to Miami where he was a player in a national championship as a member of, of the offensive line. There, um, I want to talk to you about this very, very quickly. Okay. One, I don't get it. Um, going, I understand the. I understand going back to your roots point, like the, the idea of him going back to his alma mater, that part totally understand. No problem whatsoever. I get it. What I don't get is people saying Miami's a better job than Oregon. 
not that's something I don't agree with. And then also point two, which is some people have been saying that Miami has struggled recruiting wise because of facilities and they don't have an indoor facility. Um, just saying, I would have loved to be in those meetings trying to pitch the board to spend $10 million on an indoor football facility in Miami. <laughs> like, they're not in Green Bay. <laughs> no, but I, I think, you know, the thing about Miami, they've recruited okay. They've gotten some top-end guys, right? Manny Diaz got, you know, the two five-stars in the class who I think are both playing, Leonard Taylor and uh, I'm spacing on the other one's name, but... It's the depth. It's the depth. And and the difference between getting a prospect to Eugene, Oregon, and, the, and getting a prospect to, you know, Coral Gables, Florida, where Miami is, is worlds apart. And there were a number of different reports that for Cristobal, you know, his mother is, is sick. And, you know, even with Phil Knight's private jet flying there, you know, is is much harder. And it sounds like family is really, really important to him. And that's amazing. It should be. Yeah. But... You know, it, it also helps when you get, you know, a 10-year, $85 million contract or whatever he got. Yeah. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, he is in the Jim Harbaugh position, right, where he's expected to be the savior. But in a lot of ways, even if he's not, you get a lot of rope, man. You get a lot of rope when you yep. were when you were the conquering hero coming home. Yeah, I have, I have no objections to the personal part of returning to Miami. I disagree with the... Miami being a better football coaching job than Oregon, especially because of the we would just said that I didn't mention the Nike influence. Like Phil Knight is one of the 15 richest people on the planet. And he's like, I will spend whatever it takes, whatever it takes to have Oregon athletics be incredible, which they are. And he does. And as you said, like it really matters to elite prospects, in my opinion, the company that, that you're with, and the Nike influence. I think that really, really matters. Now, you think that's more important to prospects than location and, and, and how far they are from home, which is going to be an enormous advantage for Miami as opposed to Oregon. I think that's an advantage. One, you're recruiting completely different types of kids. Why? Why? Aren't you recruiting isn't the same type of kid aren't you recruiting the same type of kid the same kid who wants to compete for a national title and make it to the nfl and earn life-changing money you are but at oregon as you said dominating southern california that trip may not be as big a deal for a kid from los angeles as it is for a kid from miami going to oregon yeah the west coast is more spread out i agree with and, that but... and and there is less competition on the west coast compared to all the SC schools are recruiting Florida and Miami kids as well. So that's the catch. Yeah. Mario Cristobal is not going to a Miami that is being recruited by Florida, Florida State, Miami. He's going to Miami that is essentially owned by Nick Saban at this point, right? Like yeah. Florida has become Alabama's home state in, in, in recruiting in a lot of ways, which makes it harder. And, and also when you're really, really picking nits between – you know, how do you choose between like Ohio State and Texas or Ohio State and well, Texas A&M? Like right. like these pretty much schools, if, if you look at them, they're just even in so many ways. Like if you're a kid who grew up idolizing Michael Jordan and one team has Nike versus Adidas, like that may matter to a couple handful of kids. And as we pro as is proven, 
every kid matters in, in football. You never know who's going to be the yeah. three-star kid who becomes Tom Brady, right? Like, you just never know. Do you have Do you have any thoughts on, as we wrap up here, Brian Kelly to LSU, besides the bad form in which he left, do you have any thoughts on the hire itself? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good hire. I think Brian Kelly's a good enough coach to win a national championship. I think if you're Brian Kelly, you're certainly not complaining about what your bank account looks like. You know, not that it was no. too shit for this, but I think Brian Kelly hit his head on Notre Dame's ceiling, or I think he took Notre Dame to their ceiling um, with whatever limitations they have. Um, I know Marcus Freeman is trying to say that's not the case, and he thinks that you can get enough talent to win a national title there. Um, and, and, you know, good for him, but each of the last three coaches at LSU have won a national title and two of them have proven to be like pretty average coaches and Les Miles and Ed Orgeron, uh, which indicates to me that Brian Kelly made a great move here. You're, you're, you are, you know, the difference in likelihood of winning a national title at LSU and Notre Dame is, you know, the difference in eating at you know, 11 Madison Park and Burger King, to be totally honest. They both feed you, yeah. but, you know, uh, there's just different, you know, classes of things. And I've never been to 11 Madison Park, so <laughs> it's just really good. Well, um, it's all vegetarian now, just so you know. Oh, that's a game changer. I don't know if you can build an offensive line on a vegetarian diet. <laughs> um, all right, well, oh, man, now I sound silly here, Dave. But, it, you know, I'm trying to make the point that I really think there is a huge difference in – where you're recruiting from, how you can acquire talent. Um, you know, and I think Notre Dame, whether it's actual academic limitations, whether it's the fact that nobody lives anywhere near South Bend, Indiana, or, you know, it's the fact that they claim they're high and mighty above it all, you know, for whatever it is, they're not getting the kind of kids that LSU is. It's just a fact. And his agent deserves a raise as the last two coaches at LSU who both won national championships and were canned. Um, I think Kelly gets a hundred percent of his salary if he's fired without cause and 90% if he's fired with cause. Um, wow. Just as you said, when you're making $90 million in, in, in your contract plus, um, and basically you're going to get almost all of it, no matter what you do. Um, that shows it's a school that was really, really desperate. And a guy who knew how to negotiate against a desperate man. And do you, if you were LSU, would you have rather had Lincoln Riley? Yes. If you were Lincoln Riley, would you have rather gone to LSU? No. All right, I agree. I'd rather live in LA. But having said that, I think LSU is an amazing job, and I think Brian. Okay, let me phrase it this way. I just gave you my answer. Who's more likely to win a national title in the next five years, Brian Kelly or Lincoln Riley? Next five years, probably Brian Kelly because of the where he's starting from. But Lincoln Riley has a great chance, too, because in year four, five, six, if he can recruit that way, because all these people who are saying, oh, Lincoln's afraid of the SEC and doesn't want to recruit against Saban and LSU and Georgia. Yes. Like, why would you choose the harder path to the playoff when a difficult but easier path is presented itself right there for equal amounts of money in a completely different part of the country that you can dominate recruiting wise. So like it's not like he went to Idaho to escape and relying on the Idaho football <laughs> recruiting base. It's Southern California, right? There's 
millions of people who live there. So just by the numbers of it, there's going to be really good football. Well, the fact of the matter is, you know, you're right. But the fact of the matter is, if you want to win a national title or you want to win a recruiting national title, whatever it is, you're going through the SEC anyway, whether it's for yes. the five-star kids that everyone's competing for or whether it's in the playoffs, you're not getting there without somehow getting through an Alabama or Georgia-type program on both ends of it. Why Why do you have to compete against Saban twice on the field to win a championship and every day in recruiting when you okay, or when you have, can just beat them once on the field and compete every day recruiting anyway, right? Like, Yeah. So, all right, Coach Sass, always, always a pleasure to have you on. I hope you enjoy the games. I hope we don't have the blowout in game one. Like you predict, though, it seems like there's always one blowout semifinal game, so maybe maybe you will be right. But we'll be pulling for, for Cincinnati. Really appreciate you spending time breaking down all this college football uh, news, and it's always a lot of fun talking, talking football with you. Dave, the treat was mine, as always. Thank you for having me. Enjoy the games, and, uh, yeah, I stay safe, stay healthy, man. We may have to call Fiori's to get a special Friday edition of the roast beef and, and mutts for the football <laughs> games. If they can do it for the people, shout out Fiori's. I'm in. No complaints there. I don't know if they're going to do that, but I'm in. <laughs> All right. Take care. All right, James. That'll do it for this episode of the Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. You can also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back next week. Take care and make it a great day.